turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. You receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your social security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift. You've heard AM, you've heard FM. Now, tune in to DM Radio, the world's longest-running show about data. Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on a show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time once again for the longest running show in the world about data. It's called DM Radio. Yes, indeed, folks. Plowing through year 14 of DM Radio is uh, is our cast here. And I'm very excited to bring up a real all-star cast today. We're going to be hearing from Bar Moses of Monte Carlo, J.G. Heathcock of a company called Retrospect, or that's their product, maybe. And Michael Ferranti from Pure Storage, very interesting company I've been tracking for a while. And Ranga of Commvault as well, also venerable company doing cool things. The topic today is backup, restore, and so much more. And uh, let's think about how topical it can be, right? With some of these hacks going on, with Colonial Pipeline being taken down. Come on, to me, that was probably the number one biggest attack on our national security since 9-11. This is huge. These people took down a colonial pipeline that plunged the East Coast into panic for days. There was a point at the peak of this disaster that eight out of 10 gas stations in Washington, D.C. did not have gas. That's kind of a problem. And then what happened? They paid them $4.4 million reportedly and uh, all sorts of nonsense articles in the news the Wall Street Journal, for example, validating a claim from Darkside. They had a subhead in their article that said Darkside, the, the hacker group responsible, says they have no ties to foreign governments. And I'm like, OK, so a criminal network of hackers bring down critical U.S. infrastructure and then they say they have no ties to foreign governments. So we should just believe them. Is that right? This is absolutely absurd. Criminals lie, cheat and steal. Pro tip. Don't trust hackers. <laughs> they're going to hack into your system. Then the story came out in the, in the New York Times. It said, oh, well, they said they're going to disband because of pressure from the U.S. Can I do an eye roll on the radio? They said they're going to disband. Okay. And then a week later, JBS, the biggest meatpacking company in the world, is hacked. And they apparently paid $11 million. You know what happens when you pay the hackers? They come back and do it again. It was a different group. Okay, fine. Still, it's hackers taking down critical infrastructure. Martha's Vineyard, the ferry to Martha's Vineyard was hacked. Okay, you want to tell me that wasn't a statement to our politicians? You know, Martha's Vineyard, where all the presidents and ex-presidents play. The ferry to get to Martha's Vineyard was hacked for ransomware. So this is big stuff, folks. But the cool thing is there's a lot of cool technology right now for preventing these sorts of things and for dealing with it and for being able to get up and running after it's happened, because that's the key, right? You want to have a robust plan in place for backup and restore. And then what's happening, the reason I say so much more is because there are companies doing really cool stuff. There's a company called Grax that we're working with, which looks at your historical data as an asset. So it's not just cold storage sitting somewhere in case there's a problem. No, they view that as a clean copy of your corporate data. So you can do some stuff with that. Other companies, Druva is doing something with that and several others. So lots of cool stuff happening. And with that, we'll bring in our first guest, Bar Moses of Monte Carlo. Bar, tell us a bit about yourself and what you're doing in the area of trust. Hi, Eric. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is Bar. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Monte Carlo. Um, we're a company that's dedicated to helping other organizations adopt data 
um, by eliminating what we call data downtime. Um, data downtime is periods of time when your data breaks. That could be because it was hacked, because your data was missing, or simply because it came in late. Someone made a change somewhere and it's inaccurate now. Um, that is a problem that's becoming more and more urgent for organizations across the world. Um, so, you know, a couple of years ago, data was not such, you know, perhaps not as front and center as it is today um, in organizations. We see sort of the, the rise of more and more data teams, um, data scientists, data analysts, data engineers. Um, and as part of that, you're also seeing more and more data uh, sources and complexity of data pipelines. And so knowing where your data is and knowing that you can trust it has become a really, really complicated problem to solve. Um, in the past, you know, it was probably a more simplified um, architecture, a more simplified number of people, small number of people working with data. And so, you know, you probably could have uh, a few people just kind of looking at data, maybe once a quarter, reporting numbers to the street or so. Um, and you had a lot of time to make sure that those numbers were accurate and trusted and available to you. Um, but in today's world, you have sometimes thousands of people in, you know, tens or thousands of data warehouses, uh, data lake, BI solutions, et cetera. How do you think about trust and reliability in an environment like that? Um, that's where we help out. Um, and, and that's kind of where I think a lot of sort of the, the focus as a data industry has to go to figure out how, how do we trust the data wherever it is. Yeah, and let's, let's dive into that. How do you do that? There are lots of different angles companies can take on this space. What's your angle? What's the kernel of your technology? Great question. So, you know, there's sort of a common sort of concept of sort of data quality, right? And so in sort of the old model, you could really think about data quality mostly upon ingestion, right? So you need to make sure that sort of the data that you're ingesting is accurate and reliable, and that could power sort of everything else down the line. And so that's kind of where the concept of garbage in, garbage out came, came from, right? Um, however, in today's world, that is no longer sufficient, right? In today's world, data can break anywhere along the pipeline, starting from ingestion, but all the way through um, transformation, analysis, et cetera, to consumption. And so we totally need to rethink trust and reliability in that environment. Um, and luckily, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can actually adopt concepts that have worked quite well in software engineering. Um, and that concept has come from DevOps and observability in software engineering which are two concepts that are very well defined, you know, in the last decade or so, we're seeing the rise of DevOps. Um, and that has largely been driven from moving from a monolithic to microservices architecture and engineering. Um, and what we're seeing in data is a similar trend. Uh, data is becoming distributed, managed by more people. And so thinking about uh, its reliability, we can actually, you can actually learn a lot and adopt from what's worked in DevOps and observability. Um, and so at its core, what Monte Carlo does is works with this company, work with companies to help generate data observability. Mm. Um, you know, if you can't sort of observe something, if you can't measure it, you certainly can't improve it. Right. Um, and we probably can't, we're never going to get, you know, I've never heard anyone say my data is hundred percent accurate and reliable. Right. Um, uh, but how close to that can we get? Um, and how do we get to sort of five nines? Um, of, of data reliability and accuracy and trust. Um, mm -hmm. So we really sort of believe in adopting kind of this concept of data observability and applying that um, in a similar way and actually empowering data teams to know when data breaks. I don't know if this is sort of, is this familiar to anyone on the call, but, um, you know, for folks kind of in the data space, waking up, um, you know, to the sort of daily fire drill of something broke in my data and I don't right. know what this is, right? Pipeline broke somewhere, or a dashboard is wrong, something went down and now go figure out why, right? You're sort of going on this like mad dash to figure out, you know, the, the report not update, is, the, is there a table that, um, you know, has sort of all null values? Is there an API that had a change somewhere? There can be so many different reasons for why data breaks. Um, and understanding in real time um, is really, really hard. Um, and so what we help, what we do is sort of um, help data teams be the first to know when data breaks, mm. um, reduce sort of the time to detection. So reduce the time that it takes to identify the problem. Um, once there's an issue, uh, reduce the time to resolution. So be able to resolve it um, very quickly. And then finally, what if we could actually proactively avoid 
these issues to begin with. Um, uh, and so, you know, I think these kind of focusing on these three things that will, will help us sort of start going to a place where we can actually trust our data, we can make decisions based on data, we can power our digital products based on data, which is ultimately what where companies are gaining their competitive advantage today. Yeah. And, and real quick, so is this like an agent-based architecture? You, you kind of men- mentioned federation uh, containers, Kubernetes, et cetera. Where do you sit that you can monitor things happening? And you're kind of, I think, alluding to data pipelines, perhaps, when an API breaks or something happens, if you're, if you're monitoring that, you can give a warning and say, bing, hey, this system went down. It impacts these other nine systems. Alert those people, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the best way to think about this is any engineering team has something like Datadog or AppDynamics um, or New Relic. Why are data teams flying blind, right? Hmm. Um, there's all these solutions for engineering, as I mentioned, and yet in data, we, we actually don't have any of that, right? And so Monte Carlo is a corollary of that for data teams. Um, and so our system is API-based. Um, we connect to all data cloud, um, uh, cloud data lakes, data warehouses, and BI. Um, and we help create sort of that observability and, and, and trust in the platform. Um, sort of a combination of, if you will, data governance, data quality, and data lineage um, is, is how we think about it. I love it. That's great. Why are data teams flying blind? That's a quote. It's tweetable. I'm going to tweet that uh, as I grab our next guest here and stick around for the roundtables bar. But we've also got JG Heathcock on the call. Tell us a bit about yourself and your company and what you're doing in the space to, to frankly protect us from hackers abroad. Thank you, sir. So, yep, my name is JJ Hathcock. I'm the general manager of Retrospect. That's a store-centric company. We were acquired two years ago, but we've been in the business for many decades now. Retrospect is a small, medium-sized business backup, and we back up both Mac and Windows. The um, the key, I think, that uh, just just really riffing off of our is to know that you really do have uh, not just a backup. That's obviously the first core step. Uh, and, and a backup within your policy, but that you can trust that backup, that you can, you can absolutely do the restore. So we would certainly recommend that everyone come up with a restore plan. And then one of the other pieces is to monitor that. So we've got a number of tools, both native, but also you can go and, and log in and see your, your policy, whether it's in compliance or not uh, online. You can then do something about that. You can troubleshoot what's going on with that. And one of the other components about this that, again, as you've highlighted with ransomware is, that you can make use of tools that the cloud, for example, has with immutable backups to make sure that people who are employing ransomware can't go in and effectively encrypt your backup. And now your backups are no new use whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, if there's a, a problem in your backup, you restore that version, that's kind of that's a right. problem. You're restoring a virus, right? I mean, the, the problem is that these systems are so complicated these days and that's to right. identify that there's something going on in and of itself is difficult. And then to know how long, I mean, some of these government hacks they're, they're saying have been in place for 10 months, 12 months, sometimes longer. (sighs) Can you imagine the amount of damage that someone can do gaining that much Intel on critical systems? So it's, I mean, it's imperative and see, we've done various shows on this in the past and a lot of people don't realize that there's a whole industry out there. I mean, the whole meme of the lone hacker is complete nonsense. I mean, there, there is a lone hacker here and there, but really you have a whole industry where some, the sort of ground level people penetrate, then they figure out what they've got. They try to sell it upstream to, to bigger players who have different means and different uh, objectives that they're trying to, uh, to accomplish. And it's not always financial. It could just be to, to wreak havoc, to cause trouble, to cause political turmoil. So there are lots and lots of things going up. And my point was something like the colonial hack probably began when someone's personal emails were hacked and then the hackers got into their personal systems, they saw where these guys work. Oh, look at that. He works colonial pipeline. I'll sell that information upstream to someone else who can then exploit it. And that's what happens. So you've got this entire industry out there. It's a global industry that is focused on taking down systems, stealing your identity. I had a good uh, guest the other day refer to it. He said that there is a, there's a, a, a slave trade for identity going on. And the indigenous peoples are all of us. That's happening right now. So you almost can't overstate the problem, right, JG? Absolutely. And and again, you know, I think Colonial Pipeline, uh, w- whether they 
whether they were consciously doing it or not, were, were sort of thinking, well, no one knows who we are. And again, the, the classic security through obscurity, it's just not good enough anymore. Um, people mentioned other things, you know, whether it be Martha's Vineyard is a fairy, who would think you would bother with that? Uh, locally, we had a, a library. The library got hacked and they had to pay the ransomware because they couldn't oh. trust their backups. They couldn't make sure that, and they had them, but no one could figure out. And, and it was just, it was considered to be too easy to just go and pay the ransom. And, and then of course you don't actually get all your data back. So Colonial Pipeline had to actually go back to their own backups to get the rest of the data back. So Wow. Yeah, that's not good at all. And uh, <laughs> no. you, you, you do need this continuity in, understanding the quality of your backups, right? If you don't know, then what are you exactly. going to do? It's, it's not good at all, right? Exactly. So you need to make sure that, that your, your, your system, your strategy involves both making sure the backups happen, you know, being able to monitor the backups happen, and then actually verify that the backups are good, that you can either restore the data, that you can have a plan that, that's going to be not, not so much if it's going to happen, but when it's going to happen. Yeah. And that, that's the thing, right? We know it's coming. So you've got to have your protection plan and your remediation plan. What do you do when you get struck by lightning, basically? And uh, exactly. that has to involve a whole number of different steps, right? Could you quickly walk through, like, what are some of the basics of doing that right? Oh, absolutely. And so I think that the classic three, two, one, you know, this is something that's been around since the days of tape uh, is, is still very valid. It's just been sort of morphed. If you're using tape, that's great. I mean, it's sort of one of the original immutable backups, right? But for a lot of people, that's, that's just a big infrastructure cost they're not wanting to go into, and that's fine. So you can be doing local backups to some local storage, whether it be a large NAS or whatever. And then you can do transfers because, again, so the three, two, one, you want to have three different copies, right? Two different kinds of media and one offsite. And so you've got your local backups that are going to be something that are going to be quicker for you to get to. They're faster for you to do the backup to, but then you need to be able to transfer those backups to some other remote location. Again, cloud is a great, great way of doing that. Um, And I do say transfer, you could just do second backups, but of course then now you're, you're basically having to, to, you know, take over that machine that's being backed up and it's getting hit twice from a performance perspective. So, you know, you want to be able to do transfers Ideally, you'd like to be able to have some sort of control of that. Maybe you don't need to don't want to, to transfer your entire system up to the cloud. That's not something that needs to happen every day. So being able to selectively decide, okay, I'm going to move these things up on this kind of a schedule. And again, make sure that those backups are going to be immutable and make sure that you have a plan. And again, you can schedule this or not to do verification to say, hey, I just want to make sure that that data is still something that I could go and restore from. And again, if you can automate that, anything you can automate is obviously going to be better than having somebody re- relying on remembering to go and do something. That's right? exactly right. That's exactly right. You want to and, automate as much of this as possible. And there are some other interesting tricks, folks, that we can talk about on the rest of this show and then on, on future shows, quite frankly, like preserving data in its native format. That's a very clever trick that will expedite the process of restoring your data. Because if you have to uncom- uncompress the data or decompress the data, essentially, or fold it out, whatever you want to refer to it as, that's an extra step before you can start using that data. So storing it in its cloud native version, if it's cloud data, that's pretty clever stuff. Well, folks, don't touch that doll. We'll be right back with our next two guests. You're listening to the longest running show in the world about data. It's called DM Radio. Right back. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back on DM Radio, talking all things continuity, business continuity. Doesn't that sound good? That basically refers to being able to continue your business when something bad happens, like a hurricane, a fire, an earthquake, or hackers. And these days, we have lots of hacking going on. 
And uh, that's what the backup industry is all about. And like I said before, the backup industry is white hot these days. A lot of cool things happening, in part because people realize the value of data, and in part because people got real strategic about how to manage your information architecture. There are lots of different clever things you can do to be able to optimize access, optimize delivery, optimize quality, earn trust, all that fun stuff. And our next guest knows all about this, Michael Ferranti of a company called Pure Storage, Really fascinating companies. So they sell storage, flash drives, so on and so forth. But uh, they're not just a hardware vendor. What impressed me the most is these folks are very consultative in what they do. And so they wind up coming into engagements and really helping companies bridge gaps and build stepping stones to the next generation of technology, which is pretty important stuff in the world where the cloud is just growing by leaps and bounds in terms of capabilities. And on-prem now is going to be here for a long time, but how do you get from here to there? And pure storage is a big part of that. So Michael, welcome to the show. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you think about this whole continuity space today. Uh, thanks for having me, Eric. Um, so, so my background is in um, kind of uh, DevOps and infrastructure software. So um, I, I've joined Pure Storage about eight months ago as part of an acquisition that they made um, in the Kubernetes and container space. Um, oh. if that, it, it actually is Greek. And if it sounds like Greek to you, uh, what Kubernetes is, is that it's a, a platform for running modern applications, mm -hmm. right? You know, the services that we all use, like, you know, Google and Netflix, like the way in which those services are always available, no matter how many millions of people are using them, is with um, modern platforms like Kubernetes. Um, and uh, Portworx, the company that Pure acquired, we solve the data problems associated with those types of modern applications, making sure that the data is you know, available and performant and secure, regardless of the scale of the application. Um, and with a, an API uh, first and a self-service experience. So it's kind of the traditional storage capabilities that you need, but it delivered in a completely modern way. Um, and we think a lot about data protection uh, writ large uh, at Pure. So, so Portworks has a, a solution for protecting um, applications that are running on containers and Kubernetes. Um, and, and that's that's great for customers who have apps in, on those platforms, but not every single app is running in containers. Uh, for the rest of your portfolio, uh, Pure offers a number of solutions. Um, one that I'll just mention here is um, Rapid Restore on our FlashBlade product, kind of helping customers when there when there is a ransomware attack in there. Unfortunately, there there will be. Um, you know, you have to restore. That's the way you get back up and running. That's the way you have business continuity. Um, but the thing I think about Colonial was, you know, even when they had to restore, it still took forever to get back up and running. So it's not like right. once you pay the ransom, like magically you're, you're back in business, you actually have to get back up and running. And what do you do if you have petabytes of data that you need to restore? So we help our customers get back up and running quickly and help them, uh, uh, help them not get hit with a ransomware attack to begin with by making sure that their backups are what we call immutable, basically mm. can't changed, can't be compromised. Yeah, that's interesting. Immutability, of course, that's a big benefit of the blockchain, which is another interesting technology that's fast evolving out there. But you also made an interesting point in the pre-show about how you're actually able to generate this fantastic NPS score, net promoter score, um, because you're sending tickets to your clients saying, hey, we think there's going to be a problem here. We think there's going to be a problem there. That's fantastic. That's predictive on behalf of your clients. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, so um, uh, you know, for those of you who are not familiar with NPS, um, it, it stands for Net Promoter Score, and it's basically kind of the gold standard of customer satisfaction. It's a really simple methodology um, where you ask people would they how likely they are to recommend you to a friend or colleague, um, and then it, it's your your score is calculated based on kind of how many people rate you a you know one through ten, um, and Pure has for many years been in the top one percent of B two B companies. Um, and we use we use third party auditors um, in order to make sure that that data is really, really um, accurate. And, you know, to Bar's point that we can trust it. That's really important. It's how we run our business. So the way in which we get to that top one percent of B2B companies is um, by leveraging the data um, that we collect about the customer's arrays about the applications that they're running, about the performance. Um, and we, we use predictive models, uh, basically AI and ML models um, on top of that data. 
in order to understand, you know, when, when is a controller up for a replacement, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, if we know, we start to see, we fingerprint issues when they come in. So if we have, if we have a, a ticket that gets created, there's an issue, we fingerprint it, and then we scan all other traffic for that same oh. fingerprint. So that if we identify similarities, we can actually proactively reach out to the customer and say, hey, you know, we think it might be time for a, a controller upgrade. Let's schedule that. Um, um, or sometimes we can just resolve the problem ourselves without ever involving the customer. Because um, you don't want to be in a situation where you're constantly pinging your customers about every little thing because then people sure. get scared. So sometimes you can just fix it yourself. And we actually have a, um, a platform that we call Meta, um, which is our AI and ML inference engine. Um, that's embedded into pure one um, that enables us to kind of do that magic. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I've got some experience of being hacked. I think most people do. We've run WordPress sites for the last 15 years or so. And early in the game, we got hacked. And what I've learned is there are signs that you can see and it's when stuff just stops working, like a file won't download or a page URL breaks and it doesn't make sense. That's a sign that there's something inside and what they do in the word, one of, one of the many, many, many ways that they hack your sites is they will plant these little files in various folders in your WordPress instance. And then at an appointed time, they coalesce, spring up and go into action and start doing things. So point being, there are leading indicators for this kind of behavior. And that's kind of what you're talking about to help them identify when that happens and throw up the alert if it's, if it looks big enough, right? Yep. And I think the, you know, one of the things that our, our GM of our Pure One uh, business unit says is it's all about like these kind of inferences. It's all about miles driven. You know, we, we have customers um, that, you know, tens of thousands of arrays in production running some of the largest, most important data sets in the world. And the fact that we have such a large data set to work with means that our fingerprint database can be bigger than anybody else's. And we've been collecting that um, that data for so long that we really can understand kind of the, the variability um, and that's key to being able to make accurate predictions. Um, and so that's, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, the longer you're with Pure, the better an experience that you have. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. So uh, we've had other analysts from this industry on the call in the past. They made really good points. Diane Hinchcliffe, one of my favorite people in the business, he said that, you know, when you get right down to brass tacks, it's going to be the unblinking eye of the machines that catch this stuff because the human eye typically is going to be distracted by other things. And it's going to be very hard to understand, especially in these very complex environments. But if you take that profile, the fingerprint, as you call it, and then analyze that, well, now you're analyzing a much smaller and more interesting set of data to piece together what's really happening. Right, Michael? Yep, exactly. Yeah. You need, you need massive data sets um, in order to do it. And you need to be able to, scan everything and you know pe people are great at a lot of things um but you know computers are are just better at some things and this is an area where kind of having uh computers solve it for you is much more effective and then when you combine that with um you know the ability to for instance you know take immutable backups um mm -hmm. and then you combine that with the ability to rapidly restore like you start to you know no one product can make you secure Right. We, we all know that security has many, many layers, um, but you can start to build a system where you build in resiliency. Um, you kind of stop relying um, on things like security through obscurity. Right. You, you start to take more proactive steps um, and you can start to build a system in which, you know, you minimize the, the risk of something happen if it does happen. Right. That you can, that you can get back up and running quickly. Um, and the important thing for Pure is to understand that our customers run a broad portfolio of applications, right? We're an enterprise um, uh, uh, storage and data management provider. So, you know, a large enterprise is by definition large and complex, and they've got some quote unquote legacy applications, right? That are backed by an Oracle database. And they have some modern applications that are maybe running like, you know, TensorFlow models on Kubernetes with containers and like, you know, all of these things. And you need to be able to protect all of that. And so that's why we bring a portfolio to our customers that allows them to protect their, their traditional apps, as well as their modern applications with a single platform. That's fantastic stuff. We'll stick around with the round table and our last guest waiting patiently in the rings, in the wings, I should say. Um, we've got Ranga Rajagopalan of Comvault, another venerable firm in this space. Ranga, tell us a bit about yourself and how you're helping companies stay safe and secure. 
Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me in the DM Radio. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Um, like I said, my name is Ranga Rajagopalan. I lead product management for uh, Commvault. Uh, we are an um, enterprise data management company uh, focused on delivering intelligent data services. Um, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary. So back to Michael's uh, point on uh, you know, the kind of expertise that actually helps in keeping the businesses safe. Uh, that's you know about 25 years of working with more than 100,000 uh, companies in different scenarios. And boy, the recent environment with all the ransomware attacks and everything has made backup probably the hottest commodity out there, Eric. Mm. Um, and I think uh, your topic today of backups and more can never be more apt than today uh, with all the incidents that's happening all around us. Yeah, and I really like this whole movement of reuse, right? Mm. So we, we talk about, Bar made a great point, Bar Moses and Monte Carlo about sort of reusing the principles of DevOps in what amounts to data ops and data trust and so forth, earning data trust. And I think that uh, we need to focus on the whole concept of recycling and reuse that we get from the real world and apply that to the data world. And we're starting to see this. We're starting to see a movement toward letting data sit where it is and accessing it only when you need it instead of all this ETL stuff that we did for years, moving large chunks of data all around. Because anytime you move that much data, you're opening the door to quality errors, to things breaking, to you know security breaches, because the bad guys can get in anywhere at any part of that stack. They can sneak in. And if you don't catch them, they're going to start wreaking havoc, right, Hunga? That's totally true, uh, Eric. And that opens up the conversation of how do you reliably use the backups for more than just data protection? Right. right. That's the next uh, dimension of data management where you're going to put the data to more use in deriving insights, being proactive and detecting those data breaches even before they happen. Right. Um, excellent guests on the show. And, and I was um, really excited to hear many points that JG and Michael and Bard made because it all comes together in that unified data management story. Right? Mm -hmm. JG was talking about uh, what are the SMB needs? You know, it's around endpoints and specific applications. You know, Michael talked about the multi-generational reality that enterprises have. The place where Commvault really differentiates itself is in bringing it together in delivering data protection for that multi-generational estate. Whether you're running applications on mainframes, your Oracle databases or containers, we provide a single solution that can protect all of them from multiple dimensions. First is the proactive view where we are able to detect when some anomalies happen. Because you know when you're doing the backups, you pretty much have an eye on everything that's happening in the data uh, estate. And then you keep the backups extremely safe um, in a secure, hardened environment because that's really your key to getting out of a ransomware attack without paying the ransom. Right. And then finally, how quickly are you able to restore it? How quickly are you able to reuse it for different purposes? That I would say is the layered framework that we need to think of when we are thinking of a data management strategy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you, you brought up a really good point when you use the term multi-generational, because mm. let's face it, large organizations, ones that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years, they're going to have some old technology lying around. And we're only now able to kind of peer across the network to really get a strategic view of everything that's out there. But the point is, that's a lot of stuff that's out there. So you have to kind of pick your, your choke points, if you will, for where you're going to apply the technology uh, very quickly, less than a minute or so till the break. What's the most important thing you can share about protecting yourselves? Exactly what you were talking about. All the different uh, points, they are blind spots. So the more the blind spots you have, the more exposed you're going to be. So when mm. you're able to get to a single solution, which is able to protect all the workloads and, you know, as Michael was uh, sharing earlier, able to write it to a single storage target, you're going to get all the more protection across your enterprise. Yeah, this is really important stuff. Well, folks, the uh, next break is coming up here. Send me an email if you want to be on this show, info at dmradio.biz. And I'll just point out again, look at these hacks, folks. It's, it's coming your way. I've had it happen in the past. 
Uh, I actually operate from the premise that uh, if everything got hacked, I would just spin up and start again tomorrow. So I'm uh, I'm not too too terribly worried about it. Knock on wood. But it's very dangerous. And of course, the, the fear is they get into your finances and then they can just start pilfering money. Apparently, my 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 wife bought tickets to Africa last week. No, she didn't. Someone hacked us. <laughs> Did that and we got our money back. We'll be right back, folks. You are listening to DM Radio. Twenty seconds. making America's community stronger. We are one family, and therefore, we care. We are the American Legion, veterans strengthening America. To learn how you can help, visit legion.org. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks. I just love that music. I could listen to that soundtrack every day. That's the soundtrack from the movie Repo Man, if you want to look it up. The band is called uh, The Plugs. That song is called Real 10, R-E-E-L 10. Best movie ever made, I think. Tied with Snatch, another good movie. Anyway, back to Backup, Restore, and so much more. Ranga from Commvault, you made a really good point about this multi-generational environment, this incredibly diverse and topographically challenging reality that companies have to face. And I think what you have to do is just take a, a reasonable sort of pragmatic look at the architecture and find those choke points that make the most sense. You know, is it upon firing an application? Is it when egress or ingress of data, whatever it may be, there are going to be places in that architecture where you can optimally place some sort of security protocol. Um, but how, how do you get that done? I'm sure you work with your clients to to walk through all that. It takes a while to get it right, doesn't it? It does, Eric. And uh, this is the beauty of IT, right? Um, it's always <laughs> transforming. It's always in transition, right? So, you know, customers are moving between virtual machines and containers. Uh, they're moving from on-prem to cloud to multiple clouds. And you know, in some cases they're coming back. So in effect, there's always a mix of different environments which need to be protected and secured. And you know, if, if you're either gonna leave some of them out as blind spots, or if you're gonna go into different solutions for different workloads, then you know, the choke points are gonna increase. So one of the simple ways to do this is to have one single data protection solution that goes across all the environments and all the workloads, whether it is on-prem or PaaS or SaaS, whether it is on AWS or Azure, whether it's in virtual machines or containers, whatever would be the nature of transition, which is a given, they're gonna keep moving from one to the other, have a single standardized solution, which can be used as a software or as a SaaS in order to protect your entire environment. That's what our customers have been found, finding to be extremely helpful in eliminating blind spots and ensuring they're fully protected. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'll throw it over to Bar Moses to comment on one of the best presentations I ever saw on security was an Indian gentleman over in Malaysia. And uh, I, I'd like to do my imitation, but I might not do it justice. But he had this brilliant sing-songy sort of voice. And he basically said out of the blue, he said, so basically what I'm trying to say is that lunch is not a food. And his point was that lunch is an event at which you can eat any number of food types. And he said, that's like security. Because security is never going to be one thing. It's always going to be a set of technologies, of processes, of people who have to be aware of things. But you do need to, to have it in a manageable format. And that's the key. Like if it's monolithic, okay, as long as someone knows what it all does and how it works, that's fine. But increasingly, that's going to be difficult in this modern world. So it's like you have to train and retrain and remind people how to do these things. Right, Bar? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Everything that sort of worked for us, you know, a few years ago is just, you know, being blown up and it's not working uh, today. Um, not sure if we can say that about lunch. Hopefully lunch remained the same <laughs> over the last few years. But um, the way that we think about storage and security and trust and data definitely needs to needs to be done differently. Um, I think one of the main things that sort of everyone spoke here, uh, Michael and Ranga and, and JG, is sort of around the use of um, AI and machine learning. 
um, in order to improve and to sort of drive innovations in this space. Um, I think that's some some of the the major improvements that we've been able to do has been based on that. So whether that's um, improved anomaly detection um, or sort of forecasting of data downtime um, or sort of better use of automation and metadata, all of mm -hmm. those things are things that are toolkits for us to um, use today in this new distributed world, which were not available a few years ago. Yeah, it's a good point. I'll bring Michael Ferrante to comment on this because of the, the AI and ML angle on it. And what I find so interesting is that um, you, we tend to live in the now, right? We're looking forward, we're living in the now. We don't too often look back, which I think is a mistake. I think we have to look back more often to kind of understand the trajectory, where we've come from, where we're going. And in this particular context, when you find the signature or the profile of a bad actor, what I think is interesting to do is to is to go back in time and say, hmm, let's look in, in the past and see where else we saw this historically, because you can find people who did bad things last year, two years ago, three years ago. And all this can kind of help you really prioritize. I think that's probably the key in security. And that's why it's so frustrating because you'll, you'll never be done. Right. I mean, the way Ranga said IT is always evolving, security will always evolve. You will never, ever be finished with security. So it's always going to be a process. But I think if you, when you benefit from these profiles, you discover with AI and ML, look backwards and see who else was out there. Right, Mike? Yep. Yeah. And you can, you can use, um, you can use that data to better train your model. Right. Um, and, you know, there, so there's a cost associated with everything. And I, and I think that's a big part of why quote unquote security is hard because like you can spend an infinite amount of money right. on improving your security, but at a certain point, you know, is, is it worth it? Um, are you actually more secure? Are you, are you spending on the areas that have an increased likelihood um, of, uh, of an attack? And so it's a balancing act. And, you know, I think different applications require different levels of analysis. Um, and this is one of the, one of the things that, you know, we, a lot of our customers who are running in containers and Kubernetes, what they like is that kind of in, in, in the past, pretty much whatever applications were working, running in your VM environment, you would apply the same policies to them um, kind of because you, you have infrastructure level solutions. Uh, but increasingly applications are running in containers um, in these kind of heterogeneous environments. And some applications are kind of in test dev mode um, and others are, are your true production systems. They're running on the same infrastructure, but you don't want to, for instance, to your point, Eric, if we want, if we want to store logs for these, um, for these applications for five years, so that if we do have a breach, we can go back and we can look at kind of, you know, the breadcrumbs that led up to it. Right. There's right. going to be costs associated with that. You know, maybe we should do that for our production systems um, or particular production apps. Right? Not every, not even every production system is the same. Some have you know uh, PII information and others don't, and maybe we want to prioritize there. But the key is to have the flexibility to implement these security solutions on a app by app basis, so that we can spend where the money is going to be well spent. Right, where we're going to actually increase our probability of catching um, um, uh, or being able to diagnose early um, uh, potential issues, um, but not in other areas. And I think the flexibility to do that is one of the keys to kind of making security a little bit more manageable um, to realize that you can apply different levels of security for different applications, right? You know, I, I might do two-factor uh, two, uh, two authentication for all of my, any of my financial accounts, but right for, for, you know, my social media stuff, I'm not going to do it. All right. right. Having that flexibility, I think is important. Yeah, that's right. And uh, JG, Heath Gock, I'll bring it back in from uh, retrospect. You know, the, the end user is the beginning and the end of the cycle in a certain way, right? So a lot of times we talked about this, how the hackers will first grab your personal information off your laptop or off your Yahoo account or something. They gather intelligence about you and kind of build a case. And then they use that information to penetrate. So if, if get people to change their passwords, pay attention to things. I got an email from Google where I logged in and said, you have 51 compromised passwords. I'm like, great. <laughs> got to go to 51 different systems, each one to manage that. What a nightmare, but you got to do something, right, JG? It's for sure true. And, and educating your, your employees, your staff, your, your, your friends and your family, those are all very important things, right? Um, because that is sort of the first entry level through there. 
I myself have gotten emails that, that my goodness, it looked exactly like the kind of email I'm already getting where it's like, oh, uh, we have, we need you, you've gotten the secure message, you need to log in and, and to get this secure message from this quote trusted, trusted place. And it's only if you just keep looking, it's like, wait a second, what's, what's with this URL? What's, you know, what's, what's going on here? Why do I need to do this? It's really difficult to, to keep on top of all that. Yeah. And folks, I got one just uh, two, three days ago. It was very clever. Like JG describes, looked very formal. And what's interesting is there were no links in it, no links at all, but there's a phone number at the end. I'm like a phone number. (laughs) These guys are getting clever. They want to get my phone number. So they know to associate it with this account, right? Like that's pretty creepy. I can't even believe some of these you'd see the commercial that runs when the show was starting is a guy from, I think it's from the FBI or, or one of these government agencies. And he's telling you that if the IRS calls you and threatens you or something, that's not the IRS. I actually got a call like that a few years ago. It was just some cheese ball. And I kind of, I figured it out on the call. I'm like, are you sure? This sounds pretty weird to me. And he's like, I got all angry, said lawyer up. And he hung up. I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the IRS getting angry at me and hanging up. when I said that they don't think you're real. But yeah, it's everywhere yeah. these days. It's a real problem. We have to all collectively come together to deal with this and be open-minded and change the passwords. But a lot of fun stuff happening, folks. Podcast bonus segment coming up next. Yeah, you're listening to DM Radio. All right, folks, time for the podcast bonus segment here on DM Radio, talking all things backup, restore, and so much more. Great cast of characters today, Bar Moses, Monte Carlo, J.G. Heathcock from Retrospect, Michael Ferranti from Pure Storage, and Ranga from Commvault. And Bar Moses, you had a good idea in the, in the break there. How can companies get ahead of this curve? How can you lay the groundwork to put yourself in a stronger position for dealing with the future hacks that are sure coming? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's very tempting to think that there's sort of kind of one solution that, you know, will sort of solve it all in a silver bullet. Um, but I think to, to Michael's point earlier, there isn't sort of one solution for, for everything, one product that can solve it all. I'll take it even further and say it's probably a combination of sort of tools, people and process, right? Um, so more than anything, it has to be a cultural shift and understanding that the world we live in today is a little bit different. And so um, we have to put in proactive measures in place. And that starts with having the right culture that actually prioritizes this. Um, and, you know, identifying sort of what are kind of the, the weak spots and vulnerabilities in our organization and how do we build a plan to, um, to overcome those challenges. And, and that starts with um, having sort of a trust first and security first mindset in your data. Yeah, and I really love that you focus on this concept of data downtime. And very quickly, you know, I referenced our experience with WordPress and just noticing that things weren't working properly, downloads weren't working. I didn't know at the time, but in retrospect, now I know, ah, that's because we were hacked. And so you're kind of coming at it from this different angle of, of data awareness, if you will, data visibility, observability. But the point is those data movements are indicative of things happening. Sometimes that could be a bad thing happening, right, Bar? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, we connect to your data tech stack and we basically um, do the instrumentation um, and start monitoring sort of what we call five pillars of data observability. Um, And those five pillars are uh, the first is freshness, so sort of the timeliness of your data. The second is volume, so the completeness of your data. Um, the third is distribution, um, so at the value, at the, the field level. Um, the fourth is schema, so sort of the organization of your data, the structure of it. And the fifth is lineage, um, which helps you sort of identify and assess impact. Um, and so if you can automate and use machine learning and, and historical data to learn what your data should look like on each of these five um, pillars, you should have a strong view of when your data is down for any reason. Um, and many times, to your point, it's actually due to a security concern or, or a hack. Um, and we need to sort of flip this problem on its head and, and be proactive in how we're sort of identifying these problems instead of learning about it, you know, reading reading or hearing about it in the radio a few days later. Right. Um, That's not yeah. what you want. Exactly. That's a good point. Iranga, right, I'll bring you back in from Commvault. 
uh, you know, preparedness. Uh, well, there's a great uh, expression. It's actually, it goes back to the, the Greeks, I believe, to Michael's point earlier, but there's a, a very old expression that said luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And the idea was to Barr's point, if you prepared yourself to watch for these things, you're going to be in a lot better position to notice when they happen. Right, Ranga? Totally, totally. And Barr is spot on, right? It, it's a culture shift. Um, you know, it starts with planning it out, being proactive, ensuring that, you know, you have a strong, secure foundation and take it from there. And, and it's a huge ecosystem, right? Um, when you're able to bring together the right uh, uh, tools, when your solution is able to interact with all of them, that's really when you get the full uh, protection that, that you need. Yeah, I love it. And uh, we'll bring in, let's see, Michael Ferranti from Pure Storage. You know, the, the strategy is so important, but I'm, I'm impressed by the, the approach of fingerprinting these problems, right? You see this more and more in the, in the ITSM space, right? IT service management, where you got all these tickets coming in. And a lot of times they're, they're similar in nature. So if you can use AI to categorize the tickets, then you can solve 27 problems at once instead of solving 27 problems 27 different times. So that's a pretty big deal, right, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, when you get to a certain scale as 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 a service provider, you know, whatever your your industry, um, you know, customers don't think in averages, right? If if our average, you know, <laughs> response time is That's a quote. You know, um, I don't know an hour. But, you know, um, some of those customers it takes 6 hours, right? Then then they have a terrible experience. So, you really have to figure out how you can provide a great experience to every single customer. And you can't do that just by hiring more and more people. Um, you need to use technology um, to approach those problems. And what we found is that by leveraging the data that we collect over a large number of arrays, right? It's a very, it's a large data set that's been collected over a long period of time. And we can use that to identify common issues um, before they happen. Um, and you know, it's, it's what we said earlier, that's, that's why our NPS is as high as it is, top 1% of B2B companies. Um, and I really can't think of a better way to do it at scale, right? Um, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, there's a, there's a saying, um, when you have a, a startup, do things that don't scale, right? Because that's when you're building your business first, that's when you don't actually know what you need to optimize over the long term for scale. You need to try a bunch of different things. But when you have thousands of customers, you know, you know, um, you know, petabytes and petabytes of data, that's when you start to need to leverage automation, um, leverage big data analytics, AI, ML, um, and, you know, customers love you for it. Yeah, that's good stuff. And uh, last but not least, JG, you've got from uh, Retrospect, you know, there I've been watching now for a while as the worlds of consumer technology and enterprise technology come closer together and even cross over one another. You see it in streaming, for example, right? Because music streaming services came out and then Kafka comes out for streaming and some of these other streaming technologies from the open source community. But we're starting to see this stuff. And what's interesting is that we can apply lessons learned in our daily lives to the enterprise and vice versa. And I think that we can learn a lot from our just personal experiences in getting hacked and getting you know, phishing emails, et cetera. And remember that it's a mindset that'll help protect you from the bad guys. What do you think, JG? No, you're, you're quite right. I mean, you, that is what we know, right? We, we know our own lives. We know, we know where we've, we've, we've taken a misstep and what to do about it. And we need to apply that into our business world as well. And the opposite goes as well, right? Where, where we're looking at enterprise type features and saying, okay, how's that going to fit into a small, medium-sized business? How do we how do we go up to to how do our as our business grows and our customers' business grows? How are we going to make sure that going back to Michael's point, how do we scale up at that time? Right, that's a very important point. That's it. Well, folks, we burned through an hour here on another great show. Big thanks to all of our guests: Bar Moses from Monte Carlo, J.G. Heathcock from Retrospect, Michael Ferranti from Pure Storage, and Ranga uh, Ranga Rajagopalan from Commvault. Look it up. Send me an email, folks. Info at dmradio.biz. We'll talk to you next time. You have been listening to DM Radio.